Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, power corrupts. Second Officer Slug, episode 56. I'm your host, Adam, and with me is my regular host, my number one, if you will, Jackson. I almost forgot our intro. I almost Damn, forgot. Yeah, so no, we've been forever since we've Star Trek. Yeah. And here we are to read another Star Trek book. Uh, yes, this is brought to you, as always, by Rubric, who has been diligently pursuing us reading the Enterprise books every six months, you know, give or take. Um, and we continue today reading the third of the post-launch, relaunch Enterprise novels. But first, some Star Trek check-in. Have you watched uh, any Star Trek-related thing, period? <laughs> I mean, I've watched like six episodes of Voyager, I think, and okay. you watched about all of them. I I am almost done with season four of Voyager. We're having okay. a great time. Um, we've got like four episodes left. Uh, we're past the part where I clearly remember most of Voyager. I, I every like six episode, I'm like, oh, I know this one. Um, but it's like a mystery to me. It's like new Star Trek. It's it's fucking incredible. Um, I really like Voyager. It's good. Um, I also, uh, since I got some free time, if you don't know, I, I guess everyone listens to their podcast. I'm unemployed right now, but I was reading some goddamn Star Trek books. I'm like, I need some fiction. Every time I go to read, I try to bite off a big nonfiction project and then I stall out. And I'm like, I just need to read some stupid books. And so what I read was the first two A Time to Books, which were the <laughs> jokingly the books that killed this podcast. That's not true. <laughs> They were just the books that happened to be next when Discovery Season 2 killed this podcast. Yes, yes. Discovery Season 2 killed this podcast. So I read the first Time to Books, which are about bringing, uh, bringing TNG like into the broader, like from the movie canon into the broader canon of where the books are, but like pre-Nemesis. So everyone's still on the ship. Uh, you know, Data's alive. All the things that, that ha- stupid shit that happens in Nemesis. Riker's, you know, first officer still. Things like that. Yeah, um, I as I'm to understand, they're like, okay, we need to do some. We we need to do the post TNG. Post DS9 works so well, but TNG is so much more important, like culturally. So we're going to do a whole bunch of books beforehand, moving some pieces into place, making things make sense for our relaunch. So um, uh, since I already talked to Jackson about this, I'm just going to briefly summarize these books and tell you a little bit about them because I, you know, you heard to talk and listen to Star Trek books. So the Dominion War happened, right? And it was a big fuck off disaster for everyone. And <laughs> Starfleet is overseeing a battlefield called Rationar, which was like a Jem'Hadar fleet and a Cardassian fleet and like a, a Federation, like just basically every fleet showed up and fucking destroyed each other. It's like thousands of ships in this huge graveyard to the point where like all of the antimatter seems to have like formed a, a rift that like conglomerated into an antimatter asteroid in the center of this like gravity well because of all of the Romulan engines that had breached in the battle. And there is a concerted Federation effort to try to clean up this place and gather the thousands and thousands of bodies uh, strewn across the battlefield. And it's not going well because everyone's like, this place is fucking haunted. Um, And so they send in Jean-Luc Picard and the fucking Enterprise to oversee it. And he immediately cocks it up by like trying to solve the space mystery of, is this thing haunted? It turns out it is. Uh, But no one believes him. And in trying to figure that out, it causes an an intergalactic incident as he... um, 
there's a the thing that happened is a rift formed to an antimatter universe so what came out was a big space monster that can mimic other ships and it mimicked a federation ship and he destroyed it in view of everyone or tried to destroy it in view of everyone else so it looked like he blew up a federation ship um and so he gets sent back to earth and court-martialed and like put under psychiatric observation um and then convinces us like his counselor that uh, actually what they should do is go back and try to prove this thing. And so she signs up and go with him on a mission back to this thing. Cause the Federation in this era is like split among, uh, Necheyev, uh, Ross, and who's the other, who's the other, uh, is it Nakamura? The, the three admirals of stuff fucking Star Trek are just in this big pissing contest about what direction the Federation is going to go now because everyone's resource constrained and everyone's like, well, we can't just, fight the war forever there's no war to fight so what do we do with all of these like gunships we've now built um and it's just a fucking mess and admiral ross sucks in the tng books which is fair i feel like uh ds9 was very generous to him but no in these he fucking sucks he's just like a tired guy who used all his effort in the war and sucks now uh because jean-luc picard is here and the thing about the tng books is the problem with tng is that the heroes are always right um yes and you can't you, like you get to ds9 and like cisco is like a, a deeply conflicted person with different ties and kira's got her like devotion to the bajoran cause and odo's like messing with the great length like everyone has like is trying to serve two masters and can be wrong or make choices that hurt other people because of their selfish reasons tng is not that tng is everyone's just 100 percent efficiency they're always right and they're just doing it <laughs> Which is um, great when you have, like, space mysteries, like, Riker's in a thing, and, you know, it's a good episode of television show. But, but it means bring- when they interface with the rest of the Federation, the Enterprise is just constantly put upon by everyone else who sucks in the Federation. Literally everyone has to be the most useless bureaucrat or, like, actually evil person trying to do something under untoward. Um, yes. Because they're, they're, they're fucking Enterprise. I wish there was more about uh picard doubting that he uh so picard fires on that ship whatever gets court marshaled but it doesn't it doesn't dwell on the part where ah uh, did he is he like actually like just trying to look for answers when there weren't any was he wrong about this because there's plenty of evidence but the framing device unfortunately is wesley crusher the traveler is here observing all of this and he knows that picard is right because he's seen the the fucking mimic ship um and so there's no mystery about is Picard like unraveling under the pressure. No, he's just clearly right and Starfleet is wrong. And Wesley Crusher has all of the powers of a Q, but all of the like guilt and like prime directiveness of like humans. So he's like, I shouldn't help, but I could solve all this, but I can't. It would ruin everything. Oh, what do I do? And then he does it anyway, because Star Trek's about people who do things. Um, but this just implies to me that Wesley has been like that every single time he does anything with the traveler because if he's wesley going on like a dimensional trap that's all he does right that's all that's all he can do so he's going, he, oh, he, he, does, he does his training and he's he's basically let loose the traveler's like you're a traveler now i'm not watching over you do it whatever but his last test is like look into like a pool of prophecy and he sees the enterprise being destroyed and it gives him disquiet then he's like i'm gonna observe everyone and see just make sure maybe they don't blow up um and he is trapped by this vision of the enterprise blowing up as he's trying to n- nudge people in the right place or whatever um because uh if he wants to no one can know it no one knows it's wesley unless he like reveals himself so he's like behind the scenes his entire book like pushing things into place behind the scenes which is very corny right because the book has to explain why wesley's at the wedding or the series has to i guess yeah yeah like that's why wesley that's why it's about this and on the long 12 books to explain why the fuck wesley is at the wedding in nemesis yes (laughs) because that's the kind of law discrepancies we have to solve (laughs) 
here in this uh, doomed project. I mean, yeah, I'm sad I never read any of the TNT books. Um, I never got there. Maybe I'll do some myself at some I point. I mean, these are these are really quick reads. They're much quicker than like that Enterprise read because that Enterprise. I mean, we're gonna talk about the book, but the book's long and dense. These books are fucking breezy. I read through them in like three sittings. It's very <laughs> short. Yeah, this took me forever to read, and part of it was just like bad time for some reason. Just, like was like pulling teeth, even though the book was great. Uh, but yeah, it would. I, I could use just a nice easy Star Trek read, but I'm sad I never got like the TNG because like I have no idea how you both bring TNG into a book in the first place because without the charisma of the actors, uh, everyone in TNG is the most insufferable person who's ever lived. Mm. Um, and then post Dominion War stuff because I already like think that the Dominion War era of DS9 narrows the spectrum of what the Federation's about in a way that is kind of boring. Uh, there are less options for plots than I would like, right? Like, I love the Enterprise era because it's full of potential. You can do fucking anything with the way these uh, like known parties interact with each other. Um, but by post-DS9, we have like the Klingon thing is solved. Uh, the Romulan thing is not solved, but no one ever does anything with it. Uh, so you're just left with the Federation standing in this, like, the taunt with the D- Dominion and going, should we militarize? And then, uh, you know, the protagonists go, no and then they do anyway for the next book right like that's generally how uh the like things are so i want to read that for myself and see if anyone can figure out how to do it well because i'm assuming at some point they have to do something and i know what the answer is massive crossover events mm-hmm. um but I, yeah, never, I never got there like i read i read a bunch of tng books as a kid um like stuff like uh there's one where Spock gets captured by Romulans and Scotty steals the Enterprise or Enterprise like original out of a museum and then the Enterprise D has to go get him from Rom like Romulan <laughs> space. That's a good fucking book. It's very fun. Um like those one-offs, there's one where Q turns data into a human or like some magic turns data into a human and he's just like a human for a while and then the, you know he goes back up. Like these are things that were written like while the show was airing, stuff like that. We I, we were read him Zadi. Um but every time it's like a big crossover event or like post the movies or like the Shatnerverse stuff, um, TNG just doesn't suit a book to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it suits the Shatnerverse book, but only because they understand that they actually are the worst people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, the Shatnerverse books exist, one, to stroke uh, William Shatner's ego, but also correctly posit that John Luke Picard is just the world's biggest asshole when he's next to any other Starfleet captain. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, actually, I am. I think you'll find that good uh, intentions can save all the days. And Kirk's like, "What? The- I said that 150 years ago. What are you talking about?" Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's just weird. I'd like to read more. I mean, I'm going to read more of these at time to books when I get some time. I'm I'm deep in a Star Trek hole. I've been thinking about Star Trek a lot lately. Um, I watched a couple episodes of Lower Decks. That show seems pretty good. I only watched like three or four episodes. Um, it's not. It's not funny. The the jokes mostly don't land. It's weird because the jokes in that remind me of thing we're going to talk about in this book, which is that there's a certain a bit to Star Trek, especially like in Enterprise, that's about like we're acknowledging that all the humans are kind of racist so we can just be ironically racist um, in a Star Trek way that like permeates Lower Decks and Enterprise mm-hmm. um, that I don't find cute. Uh, and uh, mostly obnoxious. Uh, I think the book handles a little better, but only a little. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Enterprise books and Enterprise itself, I guess Star Trek broadly, but Enterprise is really bad, really believes in, like, racial traits of species. (laughs) There's one part of the the Enterprise, but we'll get into it in about five minutes, I guess, but they they introduce one idea into that concept that I think is brilliant, but they don't know it's brilliant. 
Um, but uh, Lower Decks, when it's not trying to be like jokey, is like pretty good. It's it's like a nice exploration of what like workaday Star Trek life is like, which is uh, high adventure, but like monotonously. <laughs> and I, I think that stuff's really charming. It really understands why people like 90s Trek specifically and is like constantly riffing on that stuff in a way that I find really enjoyable. It's getting a second season soon, so I intend to get caught up on it. Um, but it's it's pretty good. I don't know. It's surprising that they just managed to nail that. I mean, it's the one probably Kurtzman has the least to do with is why. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Picard's terrible. That trailer looks awful. I'm dreading... They blew up Star Trek. All of the books had to stop. Like, they blew up Star Trek <laughs> for yep, nothing. I'll, I'll watch uh, Discovery Season 3 eventually. Yeah, no, that seems fun. I w- enjoyed the first episode and then didn't like the second one because it was... <laughs> first episode was just Michael and then this new character and they were just vibing. It was great. And then the second character was all the crew and the Federation stuff was, like, boring. Well, now they're all together, I think, in Season 4, so... <laughs> and they're staying in the future, right? Spoilers. Yes, they're just in the future. Because um, everyone's so worried about what we do if they, they knew the spore drive or whatever was around. I don't fucking know. I've only kind of partially paid attention to what happened in season three. I just know in season four, they're in the future. The ship has a goddamn captain. They got new uniforms again. <laughs> oh, I specifically just mean that like the reason they got sent to the future was because yes. nerds complained about the spore drive yes. thing, which is like the most, what are you talking about? Who cares? Yeah. Anyway, shall um, we get into this book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the book this time is Kobayashi Maru, which is a book written by Andy Mangles and Michael A. Martin. It was published in 2008. Uh, It takes place in the year 2155. Jackson, please summarize this book because I read it last week. I finished it last week. (laughs) Okay, I'll do my best. So... Now I have to summarize the last book. <laughs> At the end of the last book, the Romulans launched an attack on Corridan, stopping them, uh, like, wiping them out, basically. <laughs> they, they, like, warped an asteroid into the planet and vaporized half the planet. It was bad. Yeah. Planet, planet's fucked. And this was, like, a mining center for the Federation, so, like, or for, for the coalition of planets at this point. Yes. Um, and they take that out, Corridan pull out the Federation, and now everyone's on edge because this mysterious attack has um uh like wrecked the federation's trust in each other there's no definite proof it's the romulans other than archer standing in all the meetings yelling it's the romulans and everyone's kind of sick of him and um, everyone goes who told you that and he goes i can't tell you <laughs> yeah how why do you know it's the romulans and he doesn't say because trip tucker has put on a fake vulcan disguise and gone behind enemy lines to romulus because that would be stupid anyway trip tucker has put on a disguise and is behind enemy lines on romulus uh he is immediately discovered um because he's like the most earnest man trying to be a spy in Romulus where everyone's a spy but also uh, also Sopek is there um who is maybe a Vulcan undercover as a Romulan but also well, this book does not clarify that this is so in the order of the events shown to us, the truth is unknown because it's an ongoing series, but Sopek is in the series Enterprise, the TV show, yes. as a Vulcan captain uh, who was working with the Romulans to make those like stuff in the um, Cyrenites Revolt happen yes. uh, in order to cause war and maybe lead to a reunification, but dark reunification, I guess, because they're evil. The uh, thing is, is that a, a, I feel like a Vulcan undercover agent is like the scariest thing in the world because you you would never know until their plan has come to fruition which side they're actually playing for. This happens to trip like four times in this <laughs> yes. book with the same man. Um, so 
he is um that's what he's doing in enterprise in the last book he was like the leader of this uh romulan terrorist sect who wants the uh, warp 7 engine technology for themselves uh, uh trip is behind enemy lines to try to stop the terrorist Romulan sect from getting the Warp 7 books, but also to impede the development of the Warp 7 engine itself so that regular Romulus doesn't get the Warp 7 engine, and uh, that is kind of the situation he's placed in. In the meanwhile, uh, this book kicks off with some Klingon cruisers, or Klingon birds of prey, attacking... Um, where is it they attack first? Is it just... Is, is it... Bef- there's hmm. Is it dry lax is later? Dry lax is the main one because there's just a lot of build up in this in this book. So mm. like the exciting incident is Cleon Cruises come and attack dry lax, which is a planet that is not in the um is not coalition. in the coalition, but has uh like World War One style protection treaties with Earth and with uh, Alpha Centauri. It's specifically and- Alpha Centauri, but Alpha Centauri has one with Earth. Uh, <laughs> this the problem this book is like what if you made the League of Nations before World War One is basically what they're trying to do and yes. it's very silly uh, so uh, they have to they send the Enterprise and the um, Columbia to go protect uh, Drylax and uh, they just manage to but then other Klingon ships come out of the the uh, like just come out of warp and destroy the Klingon ships attacking it no one knows why turns out the Romulans have a technology that can like incapacitate and then take over ships uh, they can like force other ships to do their bidding. Thus, uh, framing the Klingons for this attack, Archer is like, I don't, mm, eh, I don't know. They find a uh, a lone survivor that says it was Romulans, but it's just, it's just they die immediately because they were, you know, blown up in this uh, situation. And now Archer has to try to convince um, everyone on Earth and the, in the Coalition that it wasn't Klingons; it was actually Romulans secretly controlling the Klingons. And they say, "Can you tell us how you know that?" And he goes, "No, again." <laughs> uh, so they send him to, they send him to Kronos uh, to like get proof of this. Um, he beats up a Klingon to prove that he's super cool, and then they give him some proof of this, but say you can't uh, take specifically this. Specifically, it's Krell. Krell is a character from Enterprise. Yes. Like these are important characters. He beats up Krell um, and and, uh, and refuses to kill him. He's like, I'm not going to kill, uh, uh, you know, kill this important general. If you think about it, that's my honor, and I must be true to my honor, and you must respect that. And because rules lawyering the Klingons into how honor works is basically how anyone beats the Klingons in any argument ever. Um, in, in Star Trek. Uh, and so they're given some evidence that shows the Romulans like taking control of these ships and they're like, well, we're not, you know, you can't take it to the take it to them uh, because this clearly shows that the Klingons who are a like, super cool empire have been already pre-owned by the Romulans and that would weaken our position and make us look like idiots, uh, which we don't want. So uh, Captain Archer says, yes, fair enough, that makes sense. Instead, secretly recording them and taking that evidence back. <laughs> Uh, to the coalition does it planets. on his own accord to be fair that's true but it's, uh, this is on archer i'm sorry this is not he doesn't get to be outside of this one no 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 Ooh. but it is funny that flox just does it. it's like i assumed you want me to do this he's like you're you know you're right <laughs> you know you're right yeah in uh, the moment i was like what do we do but you solved it it cheat <laughs> the answer was just lie to the klingon's face and cheat and then put their evidence back at home this Kind of staves off a like uh, talk of a war for now. Anyway, that's all going on. The other side of the book, the other plot. Uh, Trip is um, basically chasing Sopek. Uh, he is immediately discovered by Admiral Valor. Uh, like literally immediately. He doesn't. He doesn't know he's from Earth. But he's like this is a spy. They assume Vulcan spy because he looks like a Romulan. Uh, and instead of outing him, like uh, he uh, puts him on a mission with uh, Terex, and it's like. 
this, if he's a spy, he also doesn't want the, like, evil terrorist to get the thing, and I don't want him to get the thing, so I can use him as my expendable spy and send him on this mission to uh, kill the leader that is unknown to him, Sopek. Um, so they do that, and uh, <laughs> Trip almost dies, but is saved by T'Pol, who has come with Reed from Enterprise because she has been seeing visions of Trip in danger and uh, has come to save his life. Uh through like broken all orders arch is really mad about this uh and has come to save his life and fix everything now trip's also really mad about this because it would have been way better for everyone if they all just died on the spot uh and then none of the truth about the engine would have got out uh, she has inadvertently like saved sopek and given them more power and she feels very very bad about this so trip goes trip's like my cover's not blown even though it really is so he goes back to Romulus. Uh, Paul goes back to the Enterprise, uh, setting us up for the final stage uh, of this conflict where everyone doesn't really know what's going on, doesn't know who to trust. The, the, some people want to declare war on the Klingons. Uh, then there's like a Vulcan attack. Like Vulcan ships start attacking. So someone's like, we can't... They might be able to control other ships unless you want to say we should all attack Vulcan now. And everyone kind of goes, oh, I don't know. Uh, in the middle of all this crisis, there is a distress call from the SS Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> Uh, which we met earlier. Which we met earlier. That is, they, they, it is, uh, you know, put set up in the plot. But yes, the the trigger. <laughs> the Kobayashi Maru, a shitty Klingon freighter populated by humans who are just doing Firefly. So everyone fucking hates them, and the book is infinitely contested, uh, like contemptible of them. <laughs> the guy sucks. He's like, I'm a cool guy pirate. <laughs> I'm basically like slapping everyone's ass and like flooding at everyone and hiding my secret missions because we were trying to set up a Vulcan listening post. And that's why this is so much more important. The Enterprise have to go do it. <laughs> they they are the second string person to be asked to transport the Vulcan listening post. Importantly, <laughs> uh, because while Earth and he, uh, Vulcan are like secretly trying to get this post, because it's revealed that they're operating under Federation orders working with Vulcan on this. Yes. Um, they originally asked the Horizon, which is uh, Ensign Mayweather's, uh, Travis Mayweather's family ship, but they got caught early on in this book by the telepresence, whatever, uh, telenavigation, what the they call it thing? It's a tele something, but yes. The, the, yes. The, 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 telecapture, telecapture. Yeah, the telecapture device, and fucking murdered. <laughs> they got flown into a sun. <laughs> Mayweather's whole family's murdered, and by the end of the book, he does not know that that's happened. <laughs> He's a bit. He's a bit concerned. He's yes. a little concerned because uh, I was like convinced that the like epilogue of the book would be him finding the like log. The because the, the, they like basically eject the black box and the Roman. There's like a whole conversation about how the Romans didn't verify that the black box was destroyed. Yeah, for next um, book. See, this is what happens when you have a book that's part three of five by like the same author. You just get to do shit like this. Yeah. Uh, so Travis is kind of about all this, but yeah, his entire family flown into the sun, much like Picard's family in Generations. <laughs> <laughs> but unlike Travis Mayweather, Picard's a character with like personality and like motivations beyond "Ah, oh, my family's dead." That's <laughs> true. All, all my boomers. <laughs> Um, so they go to they go to save the Kobayashi Maru. Uh, Trip has been captured by Sopek again, who is the guy like on the um, Romulan vessel, uh, doing this telecapture scheme. Which to which Trip is like, "Hang on, didn't the Romulans order me to kill you already? What the fuck side are you working for?" And he's like, "Ah, I'm actually working for the Vulcans." And Trip believes that for about five minutes by then I, going, "I think Wait he's a working second. for the Vulcans. I think he's working for the Vulcans. I genuinely believe this is true." Okay, well, the, he's working for some sector of Vulcans then, because he does kill Vulcan agents trying to make a listening post. Yeah, 
I mean, he would a Vulcan agent would absolutely be willing to kill Vulcans to further a war effort that will eventually destabilize Romulus. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but like, so so he's so he's there and he's about to like do Kobayashi Maru basically, and the um the the way this is resolved because as Enterprise goes in to save Kobayashi Maru, three Klingon cruisers, uh, three Klingon birds of prey, like suddenly arrive and start shooting, and Kobayashi Maru is happening. And Trip gets like a message through uh, using his translator to hook into this like benign console to, to like disrupt the communications blocking field enough to turn it into a way to communicate Morse code. Yes, uh, which is sick. That's the Star Trek like techno battle bullshit I like. The thing, the thing I don't understand is they like everyone on the Enterprise acts like they don't know Morse code, yeah. which is ludicrous. <laughs> because I've seen they're like, oh, we can't do anything. We can only transmit Morse code like ten times in Star Trek. Yes, they're always doing this. Yeah, um, especially at Enterprise era where. Remember, TOS mentions that the Earth Romulan War was fought entirely through radio communication, which is clearly not true now at this point. They've just retconned that. But the evocativeness of saying something like that, that they're firing nukes between Earth and Romulus using radios, is fucking sick. Yes, and like this book has to try to retcon all, all that. <laughs> yes. And its way of doing that is with like a weird telepresence thing that means no one can trust each other. And then Trip um, sending Morse code messages. <laughs> Trip sending Morse code messages with his magic ear translator. Uh, and the messages is like, this is a trap, you got to leave. And that's that's what he does. The, the, the way the archer beats the original unwinnable scenario is just abandoning them for dead. And all the Firefly glides blow up and no one cares. Well, um, he cares the, the, the important thing is the fucking gall of the Federation to like look at this mission like a hundred years later yes! after it's probably all declassified and lamps shade this is your training exercise of sometimes shit's just bad and you have to sacrifice yourself <laughs> because Archer i love it doesn't do that i fucking love it he doesn't do it there's no neutral there's no neutral zone it's not like it's not all oh, we go into the neutral zone because we make the brave choices the yeah. way the like because oh, so, they so, to... yes so specifically the the kobayashi maru as depicted in wrath of khan is there is a freighter stranded in the klingon neutral zone not the wrong neutral, neutral zone. zone yes and the 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 ship that the trainer the command trainee has to go into will go in try to rescue it and it's impossible for them to win and the goal typically is to just test what they'll do in no win scenarios which usually means you you sacrifice the ship because that's what captains are supposed to do like you do the right thing and you blow up unless you're a captain on a show in which case you get out of there by some ingenious plot device in the fifth act so I mean, and there is a minute in this book where it's like is he just gonna like abandon ship and we're just gonna get new enterprise like re retrofit enterprise post like because you know the roman oh, war is meant to be fought with nukes we could get season four enterprise or season five oh. enterprise that'd be sick or, or even like no enterprise for like two books right as they yeah. do the roman war and then there's a new enterprise so i believe they could have just like evacuated the crew at this point because there is um, an uh, there's a concept of the season five Enterprise yes. that would have been refit to look more like the Constitution class, where like they'd raise oh. the nacelles and there'd be like a neck between the the engineering hole and the saucer, and it fucking looks incredible. It's really cool. God, I'm so sad we never got season five. You know, um, but no, he just he just fucking runs away. <laughs> he just leaves, and, they're and everyone's hailing aghast. They're like, we don't run away. What the fuck? They're hailing him, and they're like, hey, we're being murdered here, and then he just ignores them and they die. <laughs> because that's what it means uh and then this is like enough proof because there was a romulan cruiser like he saw the romulan ship before the uh attack happened 
Which I guess, you're right, if Serpex Plan is a Vulcan agent flying the Ro- Romulan ship just into view before that so the Federation know to cause the war to happen, yeah. you're right. You know what? I see it. I totally see it. He's probably a Vulcan agent at this point. Yeah. Um, and this news gets back home and uh, every that's it. Everyone <laughs> stands up and goes, so it's war then. Right, oh, chaps? <laughs> and the, the coalition is dissolved. They all return to their own militaries. Uh, and form their own councils, and war is declared. Because it's um, the Earth Romulan War, not the Coalition Romulan War. <laughs> because it's the Earth and Earth, but the Earth Romulan War and the Vulcan Romulan War happened at the same time. Different and instance. the Tellarite Vulcan or Romulan War and the Endorian <laughs> Romulan War. <laughs> yep, amazing stuff. But specifically. As part of all this, the one part where they couldn't defend is the Columbia goes to like one planet, uh, Enterprise go to the Kobe Ocean Room, but there's a third planet that is just a science post and was like they couldn't they couldn't get there in time. Uh, yeah. but it is a really good uh, staging Calder ground. Two? Calder, Calder two. Calder two, thank you, yes. Yeah. A fantastic staging ground to have if your aim was to launch nukes at Earth, perhaps. <laughs> yes. And that's kind of where the Romulans are at the end of this book. Uh, Trip escapes from the Romulan vessel, like, in an escape pod with Sopek, uh, and then immediately hits a gravity mine himself, going, how the fuck does this keep happening as the book ends? <laughs> uh, and that's kind of it. That's every, like, the, you know, position to set for the actual Romulan War. Um, <laughs> Archer literally ends the book saying, begun the Earth Romulan War has. He does indeed do that. This uh, book's pretty good. I loved it. Yeah. Um, by being the middle of like this overarching five book thing of rebooting Enterprise, it just gets to be the book about like interestingly putting people in weird positions and like moving pieces across the board. And you don't have to bother about the payoff will inevitably dis- be disappointing as stuff returns to some idea of canon because they, they're they going to keep going. There's two more books. Yep. There's Everything two after that, but they're written by someone else. So I'm, I'm assuming this five book is going to be very similar, and then the articles of the Federation stuff is going to be a little different. Yeah, and I know the Romulan. There's there's the there's two books called the Romulan War. Yes, and then there's Rise of the Federation. Yeah, which, which is a new series. Uh, specifically, is different author. Yeah, so. so like I'm assuming that this goes up to the end of the Romulan War. Yeah, um, and then I'm excited to see what the next story is, right? But like. This is this author's uh these two's uh, little journey here. And yeah, this is my favorite one of theirs yeah, so the, far. Yeah, uh, the 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 next books are just Michael A. Martin. Um Oh, did um Maggles leave? Yeah. I assume writing other Star Trek books, I have no idea. Let me let's see what he was doing in two thousand nine instead of writing this book. Um It looks like he was writing an Excelsior book around the same time. Amazing. So, you know, what are you gonna do? uh yeah what can you do anyway cap uh, wait wait okay the the uh the name of uh, so it's excelsior forged in fire and the prompt is captain silly becomes involved in the treachery of the klingon criminal known as the albino i i obviously this is the ds9 albino klingon but i was immediately like what the fuck happened here this weird discovery crossover <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um so most important thing here, I need a Sopek and Garrick team-up book immediately, please. Immediately! <laughs> they get on so well. Yes. The spy shit in this book is great. It's so just, like, crunchy and, like, meandering with no point because being a spy means, like, believing in an idea against all of the evidence that increasingly mounts that you're doing the wrong thing constantly. <laughs> Trip is a meat- like, I, the last book I was like, I wonder how they're gonna- 
work with Trip being a spy in like the 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 nation defined by everyone being really good at being spies. And Trip's character is that he's like unfailingly earnest to uh, an awkward degree. Um, how are they going to deal with this? And the answer is like he immediately is discovered, and it's mostly about how all of these various Romulan powers want to use him while he's like, I must do my mission. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that stuff's really good. Uh, I love it. Um, the trip stuff's interesting because it, it just is like a continuation of what we've been doing. And like not a ton happens there, but it does center Trip as like the only person who is like trying his best to like get his mission done in a world where like T'Pol and Archer are constantly like waffling over their duty versus their personal like investment and stuff. Um, I love this like depiction of Trip. Uh, it's really good. I really like the trip stuff, especially as it contrasts with the Archer and T'Pol stuff, because, like, T'Pol l- goes on a secret mission to find Trip to save him, uh, because she's like, I sense he's in mortal danger, because we've got the uh, Vulcan mind link now, which happens when your mind link is plot convenient enough. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you fuck, or your brothers and sisters, you can communicate psychically with humans over vast distances. This is just canon. This is just, this is just canon at this point. I don't, I honestly, great. It works great. I like it a lot. But it does result in a lot of characters asking, like, that, I don't think that's how mind worlds work. It's like, uh, you know, we're special. I fucked Trip, and they're like, yeah, I know you fucked Trip. Stop but being weird about it. But it's like her weird drug addiction from season three or whatever. <laughs> right, they do keep bringing that up, and every time I say, uh, no shit, what? Oh, right, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of how um, plot lines work on TV shows. Remember when Paul was addicted to a drug for a while? Uh, no, do, not really. No, not really. I don't really I mean, know I much do, but three. I don't care. <laughs> um, but, like, she betrays Archer, right? And, and Archer's like, wait, she did the, I, I betrayed everyone else i this is no different to what i did when i sent trip right like yes. everyone be deciding that like oh. their command structure doesn't matter when their goal is important to them also specifically archer's really pouty because he's in this situation he's like i trip's gone i need someone to talk to porthos isn't cutting it uh i and he's like i haven't been talking to paul because she's a vulcan it's weird you know we've been kind of removed she's de- dealing with all this trip stuff and then the minute he's like i'm going to go talk to her is like oh last night she skipped out <laughs> so he's yep. just he's just pissy for entirely personal reasons it, it, it's really good all the klingon stuff happens while uh T'Pol and reed have both left yes please let it be noted in the starfleet logs that reed was went down with the world's worst case of shitting himself almost to death for a week <laughs> while he was on this one <laughs> that is that is the cover he gives reed. Yes. And reed and reed comes back and he's like look i know i said i would never betray you for the secret organization ever again but this wasn't for the secret organization so it's fine i did it for myself it's actually fine and to Paul. And to Paul. Don't and forget to Paul. To Paul. Yeah, exactly. It's basically um, doing it for you, Captain. <laughs> it's basically doing it for you. You do this all the time. And then he has to be like, you're they're right. I do literally do this all the time to every order we're ever given. <laughs> it's incredible. Love that stuff. This 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 book gives Reed a personality in a way I didn't realize was possible. <laughs> it's it's a really good vision of Reed because it's accurate to the show in that he's like kind of a goofy idiot. Yes. Uh, and just kind of awkward and annoying. But because it's a book, so it like doesn't have 
you can't take Reed seriously in Enterprise. You can a little bit, but when he comes out and it's like, I'm the British man, and he is like, I work for the Proto Section 31, and I could kill you all. It's like, no, you couldn't. What are you talking about? You're Malcolm Reed, the goofy guy who doesn't like eat breakfast or whatever it is. Yeah, he loves uh, pineapple cake, and he invented the Red Alert, but he needed it after himself the, originally. He invented the Reed Alert. <laughs> Um, and that's the tenor that Reed has in uh, in uh, Enterprise, but because this is like a whole book about like Second Thirty One spy shit, even though Second Thirty One are not really involved, they no. are with Trip, but like that, you know, Trip's operating mostly on his own. But they do manage to like make it believable that Reed is like kind of threatening, uh, and not like in an active way, uh, but like he's like the weird black ops guy that they need on yeah. the ship to kill everyone. <laughs> he just has like this like casual menace of like a guy who can be goofy because he's he's murdered people, right? It's like it's like the story from uh, uh, Lord of the Rings where uh, Saruman gets stabbed and they're directing the scene, and Christopher Lee goes up to Peter Jackson's like, yes. "This is not the sound a man makes when he gets stabbed in the lungs." <laughs> Yes, exactly. It is just <laughs> because like he that. because he fucking murdered Nazis during World War Two. <laughs> and then when like like because like Tapol's running away and she's discovered by Reed, she's like, "Oh, this this king cop's here to take me back." And he's like, well, "Obviously not. I would have just told the captain, you idiots. <laughs> I'm here to do my own black up shit. Also, you're very bad at escaping doing black up shit. You need me on my help." Yes. Um, Archer in this book is weird uh, because this book I noticed. I think this has been true of the other books too. But this book, I, I was like, "Oh, right." This book goes off the idea that is a character of Archer, like in the in the shows, where he's always protesting, "I don't want to be here and be give speeches and be a politician." I always read that as a giant lie in the movie, in the show. But the books believe that that is a character trait of him that he doesn't like giving speeches and that he's bad at it. That is a that is an affectation of Jonathan Archer. I promise you, this man is a born politician. That's why he's the president of the federation <laughs> uh, i'm not sure it's as, like as concrete as that but yes they do lean into it and there's a lot of this book that i'm like i have no idea how intentional it is right because the writers of this book still believe in archer and the federation as the like liberal project that will bring us together through post 9-11 hell yes um, but but the book the book goes out of its way to be like archer's giving the speech the great difficulty it's hard for him to do this public speaking and it worked i'm like that's not archer's a guy who says oh, i i don't really have anything prepared and then comes out speaks for his heart <laughs> and everyone's moved and he wins that's what happens that's why that's what starfleet captains are that's why he's the first one he is the biggest speech giver in all of star trek <laughs> yes um, but the book is either unwilling or unaware of that fact. Um, and it's very right. funny because it just makes it just makes Archer seem like a man with zero self-awareness in a way that I find very funny. Um, right. Because even though Picard's also the speech giver, I believe I would believe Picard hates speeches more because I think that uh, Picard and Patrick Stewart specifically like play him with more of a like annoyance at yes. uh, just having to do anything ever. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Whereas uh, Archer loves the ceremony, and he is only annoyed at the ceremony insofar as they won't listen to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is like this is to the point where there's like a fucking there's a sequence where he's hanging out with uh, Captain Hernandez, who parts Colombia, and she literally has a moment where she's like, oh, "This guy used to be hot, and he still sometimes is, but ever <laughs> since the 9/11 thing, he's just a weirdo. I can't fuck him. I just can't. I just, I just can't fuck him." <laughs> He's just too much of a stick in the mud now. <laughs> She's right about that. Yes. <laughs> but I love that they give the things like, you know, it's Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula is an attractive man. I could, but I won't because he's too <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> and everyone's like, I agree. I would also fuck season one Archer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when he's shirtless romping in the desert with a trip. That's the Archer you want. That's the Archer you want. Not when he's like, 
I must do a 9-11 torture. It is my duty. (laughs) 9-11 happened years ago. I'm still like, what if we did another 9-11 torture? It might work. You never know. We're at war now. There's a bit in this book where he, like, it doesn't end up being a 9-11 torture because they just bring this person back and they just, like, say everything. But everyone's standing around and he's like, you need to bring her back, uh, uh, Flux. We need her information now. It could be, like, vital to the security. And he's, like, he's not getting off on it to that extent, but it is, like, this guy loves to interrogate people to find out the information they know about the terrorist attack. It's yes. his favorite thing to do. It's funny because they played as such like, a, oh, Archer's pushing the line. Literally every Starfleet captain does this at least once a season in a show <laughs> where someone's in the sick bay and he comes in and is like, I need to question this person. Like, I, I, the doctor's like, uh, they're injured. I'm, I don't want to wake them. Do it. It's an order. And then they do. And then they ask the question. And then they're like, okay, get out of here. And then they pass out to the next act. Just what Star Trek is. Yep. And he's like, I can't believe I'm pushing this, pushing me into this. Uh, which is very funny. It's been a year. It's been a year and a bit since the Zindi War. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, like, there's not <laughs> not much space here as all the there are because so because they bring the Klingons into this, right? They also bring the results of the Klingon plotline about the genetic mutation and Data's great granddad or whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very funny thing when it comes up against them um, because uh, they're also bringing up. Um, to Paul's drug addiction and trips, Trip and her's daughter and all the terror. So like, it's like the bit in um, you know, the bit we always talk about where uh, the second thirty one guy comes in and interviews Bashir and all the shit is happening. Things that like all was all Star Trek episodes, but they're all relevant at the same time in one book. Yeah, <laughs> everything that's happened to these characters is relevant. And Trip starts like being like, "How the fuck does all this keep going to me? It's been it's been like eighteen months since my uh, sister died." Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was looking for a specific date of when the Zindi stuff happened. Oh, it just happens yes. mid. It just happens mid twenty one fifty four. It's been a year, maybe, because it's summer of twenty one fifty five when this book takes place. So no, because two seasons. No, no. the The Zindi War concludes in the middle of twenty one fifty four because twenty one fifty four goes all the way through almost the end of season four of Enterprise. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Jesus. Right. Right. So, the, uh, but specifically, his sister dies on yes. April twenty fourth, twenty one fifty three. It's been slightly over two years since the nine eleven. That's true. That's true. Yeah. What were we doing in two thousand three as a country? <laughs> it, it maps like one to one. This is yeah, basically one. <laughs> oh God, one to one between the nine eleven and the Iraq War. Same time difference. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just saying that Lacordons had a much worse time than Earth had during the Zindi attack. They're just like all they not- did was pull out the League of Nations. Like fuck y'all, you didn't protect us from shit. <laughs> and they are now no longer being attacked. So yeah, yeah it worked out. You know what yeah. do you do? Uh, all right, let's 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 go through like just the things you want to hit in this book because it's really hard to hold as like a whole narrative. Yes, there's okay. so much. I want to talk about the most important thing is that we have a gay <laughs> Klingon. We have a gay Klingon, and yep. specifically, it is mentioned by Phlox being an enlightened being going like, well, I'm not going to say anything about him being gay. I have multiple wives. Like, that's the fucking concession <laughs> made in Star Trek. Uh, there are some very funny mid-2000s, like, gestures to diversity <laughs> yes. throughout this book. 
<laughs> Literally, uh, so Krell's getting, after he gets fucked up by Archer, Archer defeats a Klingon in single combat, by the way. Like, he gets a training in Batleth for, like, three hours. He's like, I could fuck up a Klingon. And then does. There is only the caveat that the Klingon has been, like, has been hit by the Augment virus, which might, like, decrease his strength because he's just a human now or whatever. But he is um, being treated by a doctor and there's like a woman standing by and Fox goes up to the woman. It's like, ah, your husband? She's like, no, it's my brother. And the doctor's like, he's my husband. And Fox is like, well, I'm not going to say anything. I have multiple. I have like six wives. I have like six wives. And yet he was scared to fuck the pool. Yep. It's true. What's going on there? What's going on there, Star Trek? Flox is Rick Berman's idea of like an open-minded guy where he'll go to a swinger party, but he will not kiss a man. (laughs) (laughs) I just think every day, like, it was a whole episode about him being like, oh, hey, Trip, my wife wants to fuck you. Why won't you fuck my wife, Trip? Trip, why won't you fuck my wife? (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a whole other episode where, um, uh, Paul's going through Ponfa and he won't even, like, medically fuck her for ten minutes. Yep. What's going on in the writers' room of Enterprise? Uh, Rick Berman's there. Is what's Rick Berman's there. That's what they, yeah. Rick Berman's there. Tragic is the answer I mean, this there. book definitely is like trying to get away with something, but you're like, ah, gay Klingons. Look, there's gay people in Star Trek. Uh, but the way it's represented is, I was just howling about this. Yes, because they can get away more in the books um, because no one's fucking reading them. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, but it is still done in a very, very funny way. Uh, Hoshi Sato. Miss is not in this book. Her entire plot in this book is that she notices people are sending secret messages, but the minute she says anything about it, someone's like, ah, shut up. Don't talk about it. And then she does. <laughs> That's it. That's the only thing she does. Useless. She um, might be the most wasted character in all of Star Trek. There's literally a line where they're like, Hoshi was grateful that I left her on the ship to go to Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> what are you? And so I've got two unnamed, well, they're named, but unknown Makos with me. Yeah. Um, and they'll definitely do some like cool martial arts and fucking destroy these Klingons if it comes to it. It doesn't. Archer just got to do like a bad Kirk Batleth battle. Oh, could, uh, could, could we have our linguistics expert on this like uh, important diplomatic journey to a uh, like a foreign capital? No, she's very happy to not be in this book. Actually, yeah. Travis's family are in this book more than her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's wild. It is wild. There's a maybe lot we should get it. something to do next time. I doubt it. No one cares about Hoshi Sato. It sucks. I like That's a character that should be interesting, and the show never did anything with her to the point where the books clearly don't know what to do with her. Um, and partially that's because writing a story about linguistics sounds hard and boring. <laughs> you have to know a lot. Yeah. You have to know a lot of stuff that you don't have to know to write a, like a fake space mystery story. Also, the like 15-year-olds reading a Star Trek book aren't going to care about linguistics. Well, you would. <laughs> I would, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I we're going to resurrect J.R.R. Tolkien and tell him to write the Hoshi Sato book we deserve. <laughs> oh, you don't want me to tell you, oh, I like Lord of the Rings, look like everyone else? No, write the Hoshi Sato book. Yeah. God, it's true, though. It's the only person who could. Yep. <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh, what are the other other bits we need to we need to get to? Because there's, the there's a whole lot of stuff. The coalition of planets. The coalition of planets. Right. Whew. So everyone is fucking pissed about uh, 
humans because everyone's like ah you're just letting more human worlds in because what you did was immediately spread to three planets like a fucking disease um and you don't have like a unified government the same way like Endor like i assume Endoria's multiple planets like the Endorian people are like on a couple planets but Endoria gets one seat at the table uh humanity however like oh yeah we're gonna have uh you know uh, alpha centauri and drylax we're all just coming in or whatever ridiculous uh, i think drylax is a, a oh no drylax planet. right because they let drylax in uh on like they let one of the human ones in on the condition drylax also comes in because they're like oh we have one for the non-humans um but not in the way of like non-humanoids it's just humans versus like the masked you know extra characters <laughs> It's a really we this is so untenable in a it's way that, like it's, it's interesting because I was just reading the 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 time to books which are specifically about the people overseeing the graveyard as part of the federation or a group of aliens that joined right at the end of the dominion war that are kind of dodgy about being in the federation that are like giant worms like big centipedes like sentient centipedes and if they leave, there's worry that like the non-humanoid species who don't believe that the Federation cares about people who aren't just people with funny foreheads are all going to pull out. Um, and that's like the big conflict. And this being the, the Tellarites being like, you don't care about us, the Tellarites. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just because your makeup's too hard to put you in shows very well. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you're just people. It's just people. It makes the like strife between Star Trek like races really weird because the friction is between the the stubborn race and the liar race and the aggressive race and the secretive race and the humans who are all of those things. <laughs> well, the, the the friction here isn't with that. The friction is the all the race the traits, but the human traits is like colonization and yes. declare and like colonization in such a way that like oh actually we're two states now even though they are one like it does it is about like the, the what the human is doing here is like clearly a power grab in every single way because alpha centauri's interests are earth interests they are the same thing <laughs> i mean uh, alpha, the alpha centauri person says i was like uh we fucking hate earth that's why we moved to alpha centauri <laughs> Right, but the book doesn't, because it's about all the clan stuff, it doesn't end up becoming about, like, the way that uh, the colonization efforts can splinter and eventually become yes. opposed to each other, right? Like, yes. you could, there could be a story about how, you know, the Vulcans don't do this because when the Vulcans settle on a planet, it is like a planned thing in the system that already exists. They have a stable hegemon and... The, the, with how, you know... Uh, I assume Vulcans the, just aren't colonizing planets, to be honest with you. They definitely are. They have outposts in places. They definitely they have, have outposts. Other... But I don't think I don't think Vulcans are setting up long-term planetary habitation that isn't like a Vulcan science outpost, right? They like to me, defi- the way Vulcans have always been depicted to me is like Vulcans stay on Vulcan unless they're doing science shit. No other. I mean, like, so the Klingons are colonizing, right? They're an empire. They are an imperial yeah, they have an project. Empire. Yeah. Um, but the Vulcan is also like Vul- before the Federation. The Vulcan Empire, as such as it is, it is right. Not a formal empire, but it, they are the leading power in this part of the quadrant. So they have to, on some level, be doing this. Whether or not they're like uh, sending their own population to settle is a different thing. But they are a like power beyond one planet. Like the Vulcans have more power than other species. They they just do because of their I mean, history. Because they've because been around technology. a long time. But I don't know if that necessarily means they have a bunch like. I just don't think that there's... Is there any information about this? That's the question. Um, how many I just can't imagine. Plants? There's just like there's just so much weird fiction... There's just so much like fictional content about the idea that 
Vulcans are like keep themselves are on Vulcan ships run by the Vulcan Science Academy, and sometimes the weirdos go into Starfleet because you know you got to reach out an olive branch to the humans or whatever, and you just like hanging out with aliens. But for the most part, Vulcans keep to Vulcan. But Andoria, like Andoria, definitely has, or Andor, I guess, definitely has a bunch of uh, different planets. Yeah, they, they probably have like a system, or whatever. Yeah, I think I think it's specifically like the idea of a broad. You're just going to go out and put a colony fucking forever away, and that's going to be your new planet. It's going to be, you know, Alpha Centauri's got a planet now. There's just people who live there. That's their home. I think that's depicted in this as, like, a clearly human trait. Right. Then, hmm. That's, that's interesting, then, because, like, the book doesn't... It's not... Because the Coalition of Planets are so clearly doomed, because it's, like, building the Federation Federation. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really get into this, but it does suggest to me that, like, this okay, okay, is okay. not... Vulcans, the Confederacy of Vulcan. This is obviously this is going to be a mess because we're looking at like, you know, beta cannons shit. Um, so I'm going to try to look this up. Keep going, keep going. Uh, well, so it's just like the the problem with the Confederacy of Planets, and it's like uh, kind of like representations wrong, but it has like a direct democracy system. Direct again, wrong. Every planet has a vote, right? And or every species has a vote, and these are both different ways of doing it. And it seems to be suggesting that like the way the Federation is going to solve this is that no one gets a vote. The Federation gets a vote, right? Like I I still don't actually know what the democratic like structure of the Federation is. I'm sure Star Trek would say they have a democracy, but in the way that the Federation is portrayed in the shows, an admiral comes in and tells you how it is. So I'm really curious what this actually means for what the like political structure of the Federation is when it shows up. Um, mm-hmm. Because we never actually see what, like, this, like, in Enterprise, we do see, like, these various planets arguing and their representatives arguing. But in the Federation, the Federation is usually a united hegemon, uh, either, like, with, you know, internally messing with, like, squabbling colonists or fighting with, like, exterior forces. But I don't see the, like, here's, you know, this Federation faction. And if I do, it's an admiral. It's in the military. Uh, so I'm very, I don't actually know where that structure ends up and how, um, the Federation, like, maintains its structure without, you know, collapsing every time it adds a new planet. Because if Bajor gets into the Federation, they do not have the same, like, vote that Earth does. A hundred percent. Whether they say that's true or not, that's just true about how it's structured. Yes. Um, in all of Beta Canon, there are six other planets that have Vulcans on them, and three of them come from an RPG module. Okay, so Vulcans are on Vulcan. <laughs> yes. And specifically, this uh, there's a there's a TOS novel that cites that the Vulcan colonization efforts were confined close to the Robin neutral zone, which to me implies that at some point maybe Vulcans are spread across from Vulcan to Romulus, and the creation of the Romulan star empire kind of retracted Vulcans like planetward. That makes sense because the Romulans are expanding yes. all the time. Like, like the Romulans are the like you know they have an empire as well. That's what empire is. Mm-hmm. Federation's like the only one that doesn't call themselves an empire, but they are an empire. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I, the, the representative makeup of the Federation makes no sense. I hope the Federation books get into it, but I can't imagine they will, because it's going to be Archer going on a mission to, you know, ensure the Federation gets made, um, and not, who, how many seats does Earth get? <laughs> what is, what is a seat? How do we vote? How do we do any of this? What does, yeah. what does this work? What are we doing? Um, because that requires far bigger questions than, like, this book's able to really <laughs> get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it does mostly well with what it, like, you know, it, it doesn't, it, the thing that suggests are interesting, and the focus on the, like, mission stuff is mostly good, um, 
it does the plot that a lot of these, these kinds of stories are not just in star trek but you know the the bureaucrats can't decide so you have to make the bold mission to uh show the truth of the matter and fix them from the inside uh but it's also about how arch has been doing that so many times that it can't hold forever <laughs> well it's also what? specifically that humans and maybe andorians specifically their their politicians are their military arm yes and that's not true of the other races in a way that's like weird weirdly unexplored for how like interesting that could be well like it makes soap exposition really interesting and also like when T'Pol talks to uh her contact in the like vulcan special forces like spy spy op shit right yeah um they're not talking to like Savol, right? They're not. There's not a single organizational structure where the civilian interests and the government interests are the same as the military and the like foreign policy interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is definitely distinct in Vulcan and like a lot. That's like the stuff that's really good in the season four episodes, right? That that is a very fractured government. Yeah. Uh, in a way that the Earth isn't. They just send some admirals. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's weird. I, I would like more of this, but I assume we're going to be fighting a war and not get a ton of this. Because, like, they built this coalition pact, and then the minute there's a threat, they're like, ah, oh, time to dissolve this. Everyone go tend your own war. Like, this is the time you band together and fight the war. I don't understand. Yep. It's it's a really... Because it doesn't even dissolve over the, like, representational, like, debate. It dissolves because no, it's a they, war. No, they had solved that problem. And then there's a war, and everyone's like, well, go talk to your own militaries. Does it, I guess you could come back once all of the, like war tables are set and now everyone's here in a big like joint fleet which i hope is what they do but that's not how this book is playing that i'm curious how it will go because i imagine that will be part of the conflict because like i just like well we're gonna have vulcan support in this war because everyone's fighting on different fronts and i assume like the reason they can't combine their militaries is because the militaries aren't combined and the war's in a day um, <laughs> like the war's here so they don't have time to do yeah, this but i mean they declare war on romulus who at this point is a bunch of people like a bunch of like technicians running secret campaigns it's not like they have an army to go fight right like well i'm not saying like it's t- i'm saying that like the the issue isn't even the romans it is the way imagine you go up to shran and you're like you take orders from admiral forrest now whatever the hell he's gonna be pissed yeah <laughs> like it's, it's to do with the like chain of command in each of these militaries i expect mm-hmm. um and i don't really like what what's the Tellerite military even doing what are they doing what are they doing yeah not being in the show. <laughs> we have one Tellarite face, and we're going to use it. Yeah. What is, wa- what's going on in Tellar ever? I don't know. I'd love <laughs> to know. Yeah. Uh, I want some Shran in the next book. Please. Please and thank There's you. There's no way we don't get Shran in the next book. We need him. We, they mentioned him a couple times, but I'm like, I need some Shran. Uh, specifically, let me show you the cover to the next book. <laughs> is that the one where it's like all four of the people that we know standing on it? Boom. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there's the one Tellarite. They've made an Enterprise. There's there the Paul. There's Strand. There's a lady I don't recognize. That's the Vulcan president. Oh, right. Okay. Because of all the stuff for the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, there's 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 some Savul in this book. Not enough. I love Savul. Uh, Savul is like a definitely a huge uh, fan favorite character, at least for us. Yeah, he's great. I don't know what the like wider opinion of Seville is. I was watching that clip uh, right before the big fucking explosion um, the other day. There's like uh, 
you know, humans have have the uh, aggression of Andoria and the stubbornness of Tellarites and the logic of Vulcans. We don't know what the fuck to do with you. So there's a there's a bit in this book talking about the like racial traits thing, which is like permeates Star Trek. It's like founded on this in a way that you cannot ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the books go on, different authors try to deal with it differently. Some try to like lampshade it, some just ignore it. So you know, you ha- you can't just uh, like pretend it's not there at this point. There's a bit in this book where they like the Vulcans start talking about it, and it alludes to like the Vulcans trying to build this idea deliberately as like if people if other races think of this as like a racial trait, then it makes on the way of negotiating better than if they know we're just like a messy disasters. Yes, um, like th- this is part of a not just a trait that is like shared by you know like how this is the angry race and so this is how we do their story but like no this is a deliberate concerted way of how you build nations in that space and i like that idea i don't think it does anything with it but it does bring it up and like that makes sense for vulcan doesn't really make sense for like tendoria but it does for vulcan yeah yeah it's uh there's a lot it's just a lot <laughs> Because there's a whole plotline in this book where people keep going, you know, Vulcans can't lie. And there's a bit where the Vulcan goes, God, we got really lucky with everyone thinking we can't lie. We're always lying. This this is a plot point that literally rises up any time a Vulcan interacts with anyone for more than, like, 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> right, Vulcans can't lie. It's like, uh, actually, we can. And we do all the time. We do all the like, time. Oh, we are damn, always lie. I'm, I'm apparently not going to tell anyone else this ever in my life. <laughs> always lying. From 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 Enterprise all the way through to Voyager, like fucking, and there's absolutely people like, oh, T- Tuvok can't lie, and absolutely can't. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's 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 introduced as a double agent. Yes. <laughs> His one job before you even know he's Vulcan is lying. <laughs> what a hilarious like bit of law. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's let. What else do we have to hit in this in this book? We uh, did the Coalition Planets. Um, I think that might be everything. I think that might be everything. It's it's just a good book. I just like it. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate all the character work. I think that it is one of the better books we've had at like the interior character stuff. Yes. Um, that is a th- something that these books can struggle with because first of all they're like quickly written star trek books but also when you have a television character it's really hard to be like and then they thought this and did this you know it, it just especially with like star trek characters that are fairly stock and narrow because of how um episodic television plots often work yes uh, i think the way that they like bring in the like friction between trip and to and Vulc and uh, vulcan and archer is really good there's mm. a whole section where like uh reed goes for a short walk so that trip and to paul can fuck yes that's really funny yeah god and he's like oh also recognizing in my mind's eye through this entire like romantic liaison trip tucker's <laughs> trip- made up like a fucking romulan <laughs> <laughs> i love to fuck romulan trip tucker <laughs> he's he's taken medicine that makes him bleed green yep which fair enough, but like, I I I met I remember what it was like when like Troy was made up in the Romulan makeup for the episode of TNG where she's an undercover agent, and I just imagine Trip Tucker with a bunch of prosthetics on trying to have like a cool like romantic scene with T'Pol, and it's ludicrous. My mind breaks. I can't handle it. But it's also like 
it's Trip. So it's not even just the makeup. He still sounds like Trip. <laughs> I can't even imagine a Romulan with Trip's accent. Supposedly, the translator fixes it as they mention this, right? Oh, right, because they do. They do mention his accent. But when he's talking English, he's just going to sound like Trip Tucker, but coming out of the face of a Romulan. <laughs> I can't not fuck him. <laughs> oh, disaster. DePaul is maybe the best character in all of Star Trek. I continue to hold this as true. She, um, I wish she... we could got DePaul novels, but that's not going to happen. She basically dooms the whole thing. Her secret mission is the thing that like ruins everything. Yeah, she thinks she's doing the cool secret mission like everyone else, uh, but just didn't realize this was a bad idea and a disaster. Sometimes you just run off and do the emotional thing your heart wants, and it fucks up. And if you're a Vulcan, you're like, "Well, hmm, have to consider why this happened." <laughs> <laughs> it certainly wasn't because I saw the guy I liked get killed, and I was like, "Damn, I have to do something and fast." Um, love it. I love that. Eat it up. Uh, yeah, everyone loves to pull. Fantastic yeah. character. The one I think Archer's the one who comes off the worst in terms of what the way books write interiority because um they just they just make him too they're too beholden to him as like this rough and tumble like action man when I just don't think that's what Archer is. I think Archer's a guy who can rise to being asked to do that, but he's a guy who's destined to be the president. Yes. And then there's bits of that like at the end where he's like, Oh, everyone's looking at me and I have to say begun the Clone Wars have. Yeah. Uh, um and, and like, but mostly in this book, his like interior stuff is just petulant. Yes, he's just really pissed off that he has to do this, and that first of all, that we're getting sent on these like completely nothing runs, security runs. But then, for the first time ever, these security runs turn out to be actually important and in the right place. Yeah, <laughs> in any, star- I don't think that's ever happened in any version of this plot in Star Trek before. <laughs> Is that doing these security runs was the right response to this like um, international threat? Yep. And he's pissed about that. He's pissed when everyone leaves. He's pissed when they come back. He's yeah. just pissed off. I'm very, very curious how the actual war will go. How are they going to do? So, so what? Is, so, the the in the in the original episode in Bands of Terror, they say it is radio signals and nuclear bombs. Um, and I assume what that means is like no one can use their ships because no one can trust which ship is controlled by who and there'll be like secret stealth missions to fire bombs on them right is my guess of how this goes Um, yeah I guess but I don't know because there are parts of this I'm like I don't see the radio thing communications still work just fine Unless unless they find some sort of like radio is how they send like identification codes or whatever right like we're in control of the ship we're manually operating a radio to tell you that we're still in control of the ship Mm -hmm. because when when you're telecontrolled you lose all of the computer systems that's true it could be the like system through which you verify yourself yeah um because yeah my beeps are my passport my beats my passport my beats are my passport um god it was it was just a really good book I'm very glad that, like, the answer to the, like, no-win scenario thing and how that is framed in future Star Trek stuff and, like, the Kobayashi Maru is, like, referenced countless times after Wrath of Khan is this, like, poignant thing is just... Well, that's not true. The job of the, the job of a Starfleet captain is not to save random guys. It is to, like, further the missions of the state he is assigned. Yep. 
Um, there's actually no conflict. It's not a conflict. It's, that's the answer. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. So that's it for Star Trek for now. We'll be back probably in six months to read. Uh, what's the next one called? It is called Taken Wing Beneath the Raptor's Wing. Beneath the Raptor's Wing. That's a Romulan bird of prey, probably. Yeah. Did when I, do we get the book? Did it happen before this, where the Klingons and the Romulans briefly work together? That's why they both have birds of prey, and the Klingons have. Oh, they don't have cloaking devices yet. That must be after this. I think that's in that's that's a uh, post TOS. Yeah. Um, because the Klingons get cloaks. Yeah. Uh, that has to be answered somewhere. That's like the first thing you would answer yeah. if you're a TNG and it's, person. And like, it's very un-Klingon to have cloaks, I feel like. So I'm curious what happened in the Klingon Empire for a hundred years for them to be like, nah, we're sneak attacking fools. <laughs> <laughs> yep. God. Someone's answered this. This definitely has an answer. Yeah, yeah it definitely has a TOS book answer, though, so that's probably not what you want. It probably has multiple answers. Yeah, that's true. There's probably like an 80s answer and then like a, a 90s answer that I like much more. <laughs> yep. Always how it goes. Well, thank you everyone for listening to Star Trek. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll be back obviously at some point, but until then, we're not bringing this back. So uh, watch Star <laughs> Trek on your own recognizance, I guess. Yeah, fuck you all. Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> find me at Headfuls Off. Plugs. Yeah, plugs. Find plugs. me at Headfuls Off at Twitter.com. Find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, there's a cool bunch of cool ones there. In, in the last six months, we have started a few new ones. You can listen to Blockbusters. Yeah, so you can find me at em underscore being on Twitter. Uh, you can support us at Patreon.com slash normal mapping. For $5 a month, you get Blockbusters. Once every month, me and Jackson watch a popular Hollywood movie, as what they've all been so far, and talk about it. It's like... It's like criticism, but like way, I feel like it's like harsher than we normally do, but also we just had kind of break down scripts and talk about how these movies work and the ideologies they represent. I, it's crunchy in a way that's like hard to describe, but I really enjoy it. And it's not what we do on Reptory Screenings, which is our just kind of talking about really good movies podcast. Um, it's, it's good. I am also on a new podcast called Gotham City Limits, which you can find at exportaud.io, uh, where me and my friend Autumn every week watch Batman the Animated Series and other Batman-related media. We covered Batman 89. That episode will be out soon. Um, you just got, if you, if you, you know, pledge their Patreon for a dollar, you get the episodes a week early. But yeah, exportaud.io slash Batman for all your Batman needs. I think that's it. By the time we come back, uh, Lower Deck Season 2 will already be out. Uh, discovery season four will probably already be out so oh god it will won't it yeah star trek's happening star trek is happening. season two will have happened maybe i don't remember when that's supposed to come out the next movie has a director for a bit yeah. let's see how long that lasts yeah we'll see i think they should make another movie yeah they're not it's not the movie anyone wants so i know i know they'll never make that movie anyway until <laughs> next time i will see you out there oh right q will be fucking back by then god Thank you.